Welcome to Jumpstart Your Joy. This season is all about intentional comfort, and we'll be taking a look at the crossroads of the inspiration, intention, and action that you can take to bring more comfort and joy to your everyday. This is your host, Paula Jenkins. Welcome to episode 317 here at Jumpstart Your Joy. This week on the show, I am so delighted to have author Emma Lowy join me. She is releasing a brand new book. It comes out today, which is April 12th, 2022, and it's called Return to Nature, the new science of how nature landscapes restore us. In this book, Emma shares the different kinds of landscapes you would find here on earth, how they affect your mental health, She talks about the studies of why they improve mental health and the things that you can do to counteract climate change for these landscapes that we love so much. And of course, this discussion fits into this month's theme of finding home. And I think you're just going to love this conversation when Emma comes on. Before we get there, I want to wish you all a very warm welcome and say thank you so much for tuning in to Jumpstart Your Joy. It is a delight to get to do this show. And I am so grateful that you tune in every week and love it when you share these shows with your friends and family if you find some inspiration in them as well. If you're new or you want to find out more about Jumpstart Your Joy, you can head on over to the website, which is jumpstartyourjoy.com. While you're there, you can find the episode notes. For this episode, they'll be on the home page. And in it, I share the links to everything that Emma and I talk about. And you can find 316 past episodes there as well to tune into. Uh, The other interesting thing that I am offering this month in April of 2022, I am a full-time podcast producer. This is my life's work now. And I am starting up a podcasting mastermind called Jumpstart Your Podcast. In it, we will run for six months together. You'll get two calls a month. The first will be a mentorship and coaching call with me uh, where we're going to walk through a specific topic like growth or auditing your show, approaching content strategy, those kinds of topics. And then the second call each month will be a co-working call where we sit together on Zoom and we get the work done. If you're interested in finding out more, you can apply to join. That's on the front page there of Jumpstart Your Joy, along with the place where you can sign up for the newsletter if you're interested in getting that to be reminded when there's a new episode out each week. So this conversation with Emma is so wonderful because I, from the get-go, I resonated so strongly with how she approaches this topic of the return to nature, the new science of how nature landscapes restore us. I think intuitively we all know that some landscapes feel very welcoming and very restorative to us. Uh, I share in this conversation that, that ocean and shore and forests and trees are probably the ones that stand out the most for me. And so that's what we're focusing on. And it's just really interesting to hear about the science of why these spaces are so so comforting and so nurturing and feel like home to us. I also love that we get to talk about fractals, <laughs> which of course, uh, are a fascinating topic. Those are the repeating patterns that are found throughout time and space that are highly geometric, even though they're found in nature. And we also talk about forest baths. So without further ado, let's just jump right in. Welcome to the show, Emma Lowy. Thank you so much for having me, Paula. Excited to be here. Let's talk about the first question, which is tell us what you loved most as a child or in school. What were your earliest sparks of joy? 
For me, one of my first real memories of joy is watching the movie Flipper. I don't know if you're familiar, but it's a movie about a a dolphin. And I've always been just like a water lover. And watching that movie and seeing dolphins on TV, I just became really obsessed with them. And, you know, like a lot of kids, I wanted to be a marine biologist and just spend all my days with dolphins. So maybe that was one of my first sort of inklings that I would go into a more environmental path. I love that. And I loved Flipper. I think the thing that intrigued me about Flipper was that he could communicate with the humans. And like, I wanted to know how that worked. Like, Oh, yeah. I yeah. felt like he was talking to me in the movie. It was, yes. it, was, it was really transcendent for me. I love that too. Yeah. Yeah. And it is so magical to see dolphins. You're the co-author of The Spirit Almanac and Mind Body Green Senior Sustainability Editor, There's a lot of writing in your history, but this book, it really feels, it's special and it feels like it came from a very, like a a personal place, like a a place of passion for you. How did you come about with the idea and and get to writing it? Well, thank you. I I think that that's a compliment that it it comes across that way because I certainly feel, you know, very passionate about this topic. I think for me, you know, I've been working sort of at the intersection of environment and health for quite a few years. And it's always just been a fascinating topic to me. And, you know, you can look at it through more negative lens of, okay, this is how climate change is going to impact our health in the future. But then on the flip side, there's also the aspect of getting out into a world that is protected and lush and beautiful can be so restorative for us as, you know, a human species. You know, I've done a fair amount of the doom and gloom reporting, but I also just wanted to dedicate some more time to just exploring, you know, really what it is about nature that can be so restorative for us. And it does feel like there's that balance held in the book of, well, what, there's that moment where you're like, it is restorative to us, and yet we're not treating this planet very nicely right now. And so it's interesting that obviously these things are connected, but I don't don't know. That's probably the place where I sit, which is sad, but clearly there's, there's things that we can do. Yeah, definitely. And I think that that was, you know, another big sort of goal of the book was when I, as a journalist, I got the pleasure of talking to a lot of really incredible environmentalists and, you know, environmental activists. And one question that I often ask them is where they, or what inspired them to get started in their line of work. And I think that oftentimes they would point to a certain experience that they had in nature. So I think that sort of made something click for me, you know, as in like, oh, not only is like getting outside in these places healthy for us, but it can perhaps start a sort of relationship with nature that can also be beneficial for the planet and sort of set us on new paths towards sustainability. So that was my my twofold goal with the book. You mentioned early in the book that there was an experience that was so profound for you of sitting in a tree and kind of daydreaming. And I know I shared this too, that so many guests, when I asked that first question, one of the top things is spending time in nature is one of those things that they associate with having brought an immense amount of joy as a child And so I think there's something really interesting that starts to weave through for me, at least in the context of this show, is that it is and like clearly linked to our own well-being, but also it becomes memories that are so formative that sometimes, like you said, they're in your book, (laughs) that they're like even more profound than maybe the memory of like what your home looked like. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think that a lot of people can point to early childhood experiences in nature as being very formative. And I am very curious as to why that is. I think that part of it certainly has to do with nature representing a sort of escape or a place where we as kids can go to explore and see new things that we might not, you know, see in our internal 
environments. But I was thinking about this a little bit more too, and I, I suspect that it actually might have something to do also with just the fact that research is telling us that nature is very restorative mentally and it also helps us be like more mindful in a sense. And I think by doing that, it almost makes nature experiences stick with us longer just because we are so like present and rooted in those moments. So the tree is certainly one example, but I can think you know, of multiple points in my life where I have, for instance, I worked in a greenhouse when I was in college and there's a lot of things about college that I do not remember, but I remember just like every detail of being in that greenhouse. And I think it was being surrounded by plants just made me so much more present in my body. Yeah. That's so powerful because as I was reading some of what you were sharing in your book too, I kind of got pulled back into moments. One, also in college, I, I worked at a camp and there was something about the the misty dew on the deck on a given morning and like the light filtering through from the redwood trees. And it was just this profound sense of everything's going to be all right. Like this is it. Like this is good. And then other ones, I mean, like even in grad school, we rented this house and in the backyard somehow there was like it was an entire field of daffodils in the spring like unexpectedly and we just walked out and we're like what is this wonderland and just being able to delight in in the present moment of beauty was I think what is part of what links it for me but it's so hard to say all all of what it is I I think there's something about that too like you're not being drawn to the television or the like there's not something to interrupt your thoughts it's that you can just be, which is such a gift. Yeah, definitely. I think that's an important observation too. And it's one that makes me think about today's, you know, kids and it makes me sad that I feel like they're spending it's a generalization, but generally spending more time on screens and indoors and you know, especially now with the pandemic, it just you have to wonder what that's gonna do to their like early childhood memories. Yeah, I have an eleven year old son and it's been interesting I actually now work with that same camp. And one of the things they're seeing is like kids get there and they're like, they claim they're bored because they can't have the screens. You know, it just ways that maybe we did when we were kids. It's it's interesting. I think it, it will be telling as they get older. I know you also mentioned that you wrote a great deal of this book, found out it was going to be published right before or right during the early part of shutdown and shelter in place. What was your creative process like? I've, I've got to believe it's very different from other writing processes when you're really in in it and isolated. So I started writing this book in April of 2020 and I handed it in April of 2021, you know, really like the peak of COVID. And I think it definitely changed yeah, a lot about what I envisioned my process would be, you know, when I was putting together the proposal, I pictured doing a fair amount of travel and, you know, going to different landscapes and meeting people who are living in them or researching them and having those immersive experiences for myself. It didn't necessarily pan out that way. You know, I wasn't able to do that. But instead, it opened up the doors for me to reach out to more people to interview just remotely. I've talked to like, for example, in the ocean section, I talked to a like deep sea cave diver and you know, a surf coach and all these folks who had really interesting relationships with that place to learn more about what it was about being, you know, at the ocean that is so special. So I think in that sense, it made the book a bit more of like a community effort. So I don't, I, I'm happy that it turned out that way because I think it, it's better to hear it from multiple different perspectives. Yeah, that's interesting. And I think right after this interview will be an interview with a woman who started a podcast the day that lockdown started. It's named Shelter in Place. 
<laughs> Laura Joyce Davis. And it's been, it was really interesting just to see how those, how for many people it became a, a time and a place where maybe we were more creative or we needed an outlet for it. And, and then we got a little bit, even we had to figure it out because it wasn't what we had thought maybe it would be. And it was interesting. It's interesting to hear her story of how she, she podcasted through it. <laughs> it's just fascinating. Yeah. yeah. I feel like it sort of opened up the world in the sense that it made people a lot more willing to like do virtual interviews. And before lockdown, I don't know if I would have necessarily emailed someone who lives in Australia or something because I just figure like, oh, there's no way for us to really connect. I'm not going to call them or what have you. So having that sort of like virtual openness, I guess, mm-hmm. yeah. that's beneficial. It's interesting how it opened up doors and forced us to be creative in different ways for sure. One of the things that I really love about your book is that you talk about various landscapes. The way that you've broken up the sections is so fascinating to me because I... I definitely resonate with the ocean and probably trees and forests most, but I hadn't really thought that about how then other waterways like rivers would resonate with some people and be that touch point. But then you also talk about how those different landscapes impact human mental health and give ideas of how we can help support the climate through climate change and like, what can we do? And so thank you for approaching it this way. Like, it's oh, so fascinating. Thank you for, yeah. for saying that. I'm so glad it resonated with you. Yeah, I think it's super powerful. Obviously, I love oceans and coasts. And it's also interesting having had a discussion, strangely enough, in a group of candle makers who they were talking about what does the ocean smell like? And the information that was coming through was the different coasts all smell different. So it was interesting to kind of layer that in and think about how probably coasts are all different for people, but we have similar experiences of them, especially on the memory and mental health kind of front. You share that many people experience comfort and grounding when they look at water. And like you mentioned, there's people that you talk to that are therapists and and surf therapists, (laughs) like really interesting jobs. Why do you think that water is so grounding and comforting to people? So it's a great question. I mean, I think that the beach, it does actually attend, I think, but just in very like small studies and focus groups, it does tend to be the landscape that the most people rate as their favorite. And I do wonder you know, what it is about the the coast that just draws in so many people. I think to your point about each coast being different, that definitely has, you know, something to do with it. But then there are also these similarities, like the sounds of waves, for example, you know, in the book, I spoke with a researcher who was really focused on yeah, auditory things in nature. And he was telling me the sound, you can hear a, w- a wave a soundscape. And even if it's recorded in like the Bahamas or something, it'll still transport you back to a beach that you are more familiar with. And so they found that even just listening to the sounds of waves you know, can be very relaxing uh, to the body and mind. I think that's part of it. I think the the patterns of the waves, the research on this is called like blue space research, but all blue space researchers say that it's just in that sort of like ebb and flow, you know, it almost soothes our brain waves down in a sense to go into that more calm, relaxed state. Obviously, beaches are a place where we go to oftentimes be with other people, you know, they can be a fun place to do recreation and move the body around, just obviously very healthy and and you can form good memories there. And then, yeah, I think the surf therapy side of things is almost... I almost think about it as being the ocean provides such an opportunity to have a new experience and to achieve something new and prove to yourself that you can 
you know, surf, you can swim if you're new to, to swimming and just overcome those sort of personal barriers. And then once you do that and you have that moment, again, it's like a feeling that you're probably going to remember for a long time just because, you know, you're outdoors experiencing it and you might be with other people experiencing it. Like, I think nature can be a really great conduit for different sorts of personal achievement and any, any landscape in nature can do that, I think. Well, and I, I'm thinking there's also something about it that generally when we go to the shore, not always. I mean, I, I went to college at UC Santa Barbara, so I was at the shore. <laughs> we There's no question as to why I went. <laughs> I mean, they gave me a scholarship, but I was like, I get to go to the school like it's right on the beach. Yes, that's where I'm going. In senior year, I went to the beach every day because I was like, when else do I get to do this? Oftentimes, it's like we almost set the container when we're going to the shore, that it is a time that is away from other things. And I wonder, too, if like that kind of, it's not necessarily that it has to even be a vacation, but I think we even unconsciously set ourselves up for like, I'm getting away. Like, this isn't the same as my everyday life. Yeah, definitely. It's funny you say that, too, because one of the main sort of theories as to why getting out in nature is so restorative for us mentally has to do with this idea that nature presents a certain like set of factors that can just be very cognitively restorative. And one of them is like the sense of being away. So stepping outside of your everyday routine and feeling like you're in a new place, which is interesting. And But I think about it and I also think about they've done research to correlate living close to the coast with like decreased rates of depression. They've done this research in the UK. So it does seem like even people who like live on the beach, it's still very, very beneficial to them. It's not something that they've grown immune to, so to speak. Either they are aware and and mindful and appreciative of it, maybe, or it's just the great weather means they can get out and be healthier. Yeah, you wonder what goes into that. It's a really fascinating question. There's something that there's like a connection here with my other favorite one that I've got to believe there's something there, but it's like the patterns of nature. You mentioned the patterns of waves and like both the, the wave sign might be similar to brain waves and stuff. And that my other favorite is trees and forests. And you mentioned that there's fractals, which I never thought of, and of course made me think of frozen, but like that there's fractals in trees. And that might be why it's partly soothing for us to look at them. What else did you find about forests and trees? Yeah, the forest is super fascinating. You know, this is a topic of a lot of research and coming out of Japan specifically. And a lot of it is actually spearheaded by like MDs, medical doctors. So there's a fair amount of research to actually show like the physiological effects of forests versus, you know, the cognitive. So one of the most fascinating I thought was, you know, researchers in Japan found that after taking a three day excursion into a forest, environment people returned with higher like 50 percent more activity in their nk cells which is white blood cell that is like a first line of defense against foreign intruders so i was really you know amazed that it could have that sort of effect on people and it also after like a follow-up study 30 days later they still had higher nk levels than when they had first set out which i thought was fascinating and i think that there's a lot of things that go into it with forests that fractals are really cool. And that's actually something I've been getting a lot of questions about. So I feel like people are really into the fractal stuff. For anyone who's unfamiliar, fractals are essentially patterns that it's like a repeating pattern. It keeps getting smaller and smaller. So you think of tree branches, broccoli is another example. There's been some research to find that looking at fractals or like patterns that are high in fractals can be really cognitively restorative. It can help people like solve problems faster and things of that nature. And there's some theories that it's because like we ourselves have a lot of fractals in our body and our eyes actually like move in a fractal pattern when we're taking in natural landscapes. So it's almost mm-hmm. like we find them innately familiar, which I think right. is super cool. 
another cool example of it from forests is when trees are facing like oh, trees always give off these um, compounds called phytoncides and they actually emit more of them when they're under threat or they sort of sense an intruder coming or something of that nature. Um, the research is also showing that you know certain fragrant compounds in phytoncides actually reduce human stress and also increase that NK cell activity. So like something that's like protective for the trees that they give off for their own sort of benefit is also very healthy to us, which I think is just another, you know, beautiful reminder that we're so connected to so many parts of nature. Right. And so I have to ask, so do trees, do they emit more or less of those when they really feel like if, like if someone that with poor intentions comes in, let's say they're coming into deforest, do they start emitting different kinds of chemicals when they feel like they're under threat? Yeah, so this is a super fascinating area of research that forests have these underground networks, trees have these underground networks, and it's called nicknamed the Wood Wide Web, but it's essentially like a, a group of fungus that they, you know, it connects them underground and they sort of use that to like communicate with each other, to use a human word. But yeah, there is research showing that when, you know, things like if a tree isn't lacking sunlight, you can send resources to a tree that is and sort of like share in that sense that they also think that researchers suspect that it that if a tree is under threat or if there's like a predator a natural predator that's taken over it sends off these signals to the trees in the area like hey guys you should like emit some more protection and look out for this well and i know i read at some point during the pandemic about how the trees were connected <laughs> the wood wide web <laughs> i love it and that they they were supporting each other and also communicating in ways that seem that we were not previously aware of. I also love the idea of the forest bath. Now I've heard of it, but can you explain what is this? Because maybe intuitively we all know what it is, but like, is it a formalized thing? And, and how does one participate in one if they wanted to? Yeah. So I think forest bath, the word is, it's very funny. I mean, it's a translation of a, a Japanese word, shirin-yoku. So it, it's not actually bringing a bathtub to the forest, although that sounds soothing too. But it's essentially you know, a bath in a more like metaphorical sense. So you're just bathing your senses in the forest. So you're, you know, paying close attention to the different sounds and you're walking slow. So you can really take in the visuals, you know, you're smelling those great photon sides. You're taking in the forest slowly and really yeah, bathing and everything that it, that it has to offer. And it's, it's totally something anyone can do. I've gone on like organized forest bathing walks before, which it's almost like a more, you know, combination of a mindful meditation and the nature sort of exploration. But it's cool to go under their guidance because they sort of share different practices for hearing things you might not have heard otherwise or, you know, different ways that you can connect to the landscape. But I would say that anyone can go on a forest bath themselves if they want to. One of the things that I do really love is, of course, you kind of explain how each of these environments and there's more. Please go get the book. Like, it's pretty awesome to see how these different environments also have an impact on mental health and on restoring humans, but that you also then offer on the climate change side of things, how we can be in support of the environment in which we live in. And I know for me, it's just one of those things where like, it's very hard to sit and be comfortable with our existence, knowing <laughs> that the planet's in a lot of trouble. And it's like that existential dread almost. And then like we move on and we maybe do something like, you know, get a soda stream or whatever, you know, so we're not, we don't have as much single use plastics. Are those efforts helpful or is there some other thing that you can suggest or that you've seen that works better for someone who with 
truly the best of intentions, wants to honor the earth in a different way. Yes, every chapter has, you know, ways to protect that landscape moving forward. And in thinking about how I wanted to present that information, I knew from the beginning that I didn't necessarily want to give specific actions for a lot of reasons, you know, one of which is just that different people have access to different ways to be sustainable and telling people to like compost isn't necessarily doable for someone who lives in an area where that's not possible. And it's sort of hard to give sweeping, you know, generalized advice about how to take action. And I think we're seeing that it really doesn't work a lot of the time. You know, how often are we going to be told to fly less or drive less or eat less meat? All those things are great. And I would never discount any steps someone takes to, you know, do their part to be more environmentally friendly. But I ultimately decided to share like mindset shifts for each landscape instead, you know, sort of a tweak of thinking that can maybe set someone on a different path in terms of how they consume and how they, you know, take action in their, their environment. So my like advice for people who want to get more involved more recently, it's been just to think about like where their real passions lie. Think about, you know, where they can have the biggest impact. So if you're someone who is a writer, you know, how can you gear your writing maybe towards sustainable topics? Or if you work in business, like how can you help shift your business forward in a more low impact way? But just sort of taking action that feels like aligned for you personally. I know it's a really vague answer. That's sort of my whole point of writing the book was that when you form these deeper connections to a place, like the way forward will probably present itself to you and it'll be your unique way forward. Yeah, because it is way too easy to feel like there's all these little things that we get told are the things to do. But you're right. If it's not deeply connected to something that that feels like it comes from a place of, I don't know, of like who we are, then it's also very hard to sustain remembering to to only buy these products and never fly. And I would say too, I mean, the climate movement really needs like everyone from all areas of life to get involved. So I think that's another reason to really just think about like what you personally can bring to the table and your unique contribution. And are there any resources that you would suggest beyond your book that someone could look to find reputable groups? You know, I think that's the other part. Like it gets overwhelming. You're like, I don't know who to connect with to help on this topic. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, I think that so it's actually funny you ask because I one of my I'm going to do a plug for another book that's coming out soon. Please do. My (laughs) my friend, um, her name is Heather White. She's an incredible woman and activist, and she used to be the I want to say the director of EWG, something like that. But she has a new book out called One Green Thing, and it is all about exactly that finding your one green thing and connecting to groups in your area. So she split it up into basically different like archetypes that people can identify with to find what green actions might best suit them and their skills and their personalities. I'll link it up in the the show notes for everyone. Thank you for sharing that. Do you have a few favorites of how you find comfort or, I don't know, intentional mindfulness? Like, what are the ways that you go back to as a person to get back in alignment with yourself? Yeah. So it's interesting. I wrote this book as someone who lives in in New York City, so I actually don't have access to you know, as much nature as as other people might. So I've really learned to hone in on like the tiny sort of pockets of nature that I do get to see daily. So, you know, I have a view out my window of the East River. So I found that whenever I'm feeling overwhelmed or I'm like stumped on something at work, I'll just look out the window for like 30, 40 seconds at a time. You know, research is showing that that's enough to really like give the brain a break. And it's so much better for you cognitively than just like scrolling through your phone, which I'm always tempted to do. I actually went on this walk last week that sort of gave me some new ideas, but I went on 
a walk through New York City with a naturalist who she was pointing out all these really cool examples of like birds and plants and things that I really never would have realized were in the city that you just have to look out for. And once you know that they're there and navigate the city a little bit slower and more intentionally, you know, you can find them. And it's always such a treat and a delight to see things living in the city that you would consider so stagnant, you know, whenever I have the chance to get away into larger expanses of nature. I I do take it. I'm lucky to have a, a mom who lives in Vermont. So the mountains have become like really special landscape but yeah I think just making a point to get outside every day and not just get outside and talk on the phone or or whatever but you know really get outside and you know see what there is to see and drink it all in and slow down has just been very beneficial to my mental health I would say I like that a lot it um I know you also talk about some of those like ideas in parks early in the book I know if I hadn't spent more time in the backyard like then I wouldn't get to see the hawks all the time. Or I, I almost always reference the ridiculously large artichoke that is growing in our yard, which is great. It has so that's a fractal wonderland right there. But um, yeah, it is interesting what just taking those few moments will do for you. Would you tell us how can people find your book or if they want to learn more, where should they start and where can they find your book? Yes. I mean, um, it's available where books are sold. (laughs) Um, Yeah, you can find it online or in your local bookshop. And yeah, you can find me at my website, which is my name, dot com (laughs) Um, and on Instagram. Yeah. And what other things are you or have you been working on if people would like to learn more about what you do? Yeah, so I'm a, the senior sustainability editor at Mind Body Green. So I do a lot of you know coverage there. That's a health and wellness website. So I do a lot of writing there. I also do some freelance writing for different you know, environmental publications like Grist, for example. And yeah, that's been my my work as of late. Yeah, and then the last question that I ask everybody is, what are three ways that you can think of to jumpstart joy in your life, in the world, or in other people's lives? The first one would definitely be to get outside and explore an environment around you and really see what it brings up for you and see if it can inspire you on any sort of new path to, you know, self-discovery, to finding new ways to inhabit the world, to inhabit your community. That is number one. I think to get more granular, number two, um, I wrote a story for Mind Body Green last year around Thanksgiving that was about how to make people in your life feel loved and and are cared for around that holiday. And the woman who I was interviewing, this incredible um, sacred space designer, is what she calls herself, but Elena Kilkenny, she told me about the practice of leaving a voice memo for someone. And I feel like since she told me about that, I've heard it a lot more. But just the simple act of, you know, leaving a voice memo, I think, is like a really nice way to show someone that you care. And I think they're so much more personal and, and kind than than a text. So yeah, if there's someone I think who, you know, is in your life who you think of who you want to reach out to, oftentimes that thought, like you think of them at the exact moment when they need, you know, to be reached out to, mm-hmm. I think is so often what I find. So yeah, leaving those voice memos, I think is a nice way to spread joy. And the last one is, it's so funny, because my mom's name is actually Joy. And she's like the most joyful person I know. Sometimes I, love I think it. of what she would say. But I think it's just being true to yourself. I know it's really cheesy, but I think it comes across when, you know, you are feeling really joyful within and that sort of gives people permission to feel their own joy. So that's what I would say. 
I like that. But I love that your mom's name is Joy. That's so, so delightful. Yeah. Thank you so much, Emma, for being on the show today and for sharing all these insights and your, and for writing this amazing book. Oh, well, thank you, Sandra, for having me, Paula. It was fun. Yeah. Yeah. You're very welcome. Emma, thank you so much for joining me this week. This has been such a great conversation. And if you are listening and you want to find out more about her book or purchase it, I highly recommend it. It's a great read. It's one of those I know I'm going to keep around on my bookshelf because as I traverse new landscapes or, you know, make a trip to go see a river, I think I'm going to want to dive in more because I'm, you know, I've got a couple of go-tos, but what could I be exploring and finding out more about in a new landscape? And how could that feel more like home, even if it's not my natural go-to? So that's all on the website, jumpstartyourjoy.com, or tap through on your podcasting app, and you can find them right there. If you are not yet following Jumpstart Your Joy on your favorite podcasting app, please go and do that. You can just search for Jumpstart Your Joy and then hit the follow button. I also have really been enjoying an app called Good Pods. This is not sponsored by them. This show is on the charts there. It's a mix up between a social app and a podcast listening app. And I've found it to be kind of interesting. So maybe go give that a try. Next week on the show, we're going to be looking back on an old favorite episode about finding home. Just to kind of honor the spring break week here. <laughs> the kiddo's out of school. So when I come back, we're going to be talking to Laura Joyce Davis, who you heard referenced in this episode uh, we're going to talk about her podcast shelter in place and new ways of finding home there and then as we roll through this month i'll be doing a solo cast about finding your heart's second home and we'll talk to jen oglesby so thank you so much for tuning in uh, i hope you'll come on back for all these exciting interviews in april and until then i hope that your days are filled with so much joy <laughs>